Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and you're listening to the 10 Adventures podcast. We are more than just a travel company. We are a community of active explorers who have been inspired by the outdoors. Join me as I sit down with real people to talk about their most epic adventures on this incredible planet. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Today we're talking about the Camino de Santiago, specifically one of the lesser known routes, the Via de la Plata, which goes from Seville to Santiago. Here on the podcast is John Hayes, who wrote the book on cycling, La Ruta Via de la Plata. Hi, John. Welcome back. Hi, uh, Richard. Uh, we talked a little while ago about your incredible walking journey uh, on the E4, and we didn't get into what led you to writing a guidebook on the Via de la Plata. So I'm interested, how do you go uh, and become a guidebook author? Well, to, to be honest, it started with uh, the experience of the E4. Um, so uh, I had to do a lot of research uh, to make the E4 happen, working out where the route was, where I could stop. And I enjoyed that research. And then when I was actually on the walk, uh, I, I was blogging. And so I enjoyed that process as well. So after finishing it, um, it seemed like a sort of natural thing to then start um, doing d- writing a guidebook. I also, when I was on the E4, um, about the third day in, actually, um, I met this this man, John Haldago, who it just turned out who was also walking the same route, and it just but in the other direction. Uh, it just turned turned out that he was an unbelievable expert in all things Spanish walking, and um, he's walked every single GR route in the whole of Spain in enormous. Um, encyclopedia of walks and uh, he was he got interested in a few minutes in what I was doing and we we, we became best friends and he did a, a we walked many many routes together after that and he recommended uh, my first route which um, was the GR1 which uh, goes all the way across northern Spain and he said this is a great route it's, it's um, his favorite route and, uh, and on the back of his recommendation and his support. I took a, a, a proposal to Cicerone, who uh, are the biggest guidebook writers in the UK, and one of the biggest in the world, I think, in terms of the English language, and um, put the idea to them, and they uh, they took it up. Um, maybe with hindsight, it wasn't such a brilliant idea because it was such a big walk. It was a, a 55-day walk all the way across Spain and took me two years to write and... Uh, an, an enormous amount of effort but um that's what kicked me off and um and uh, ever since then I've, I've, I've been writing guidebooks uh that's an incredible now as a guidebook writer i'm sure it's not the same as just being someone who's out doing the trail you know it, it can you still enjoy the walk or the bike when you're working on the guidebook or is it every day you're constantly trying to get information to to create a comprehensive guide um, I, some people write a lot more guidebooks than I write. Some people can, uh, there's one or two people can actually go and write a guidebook almost on the move, but I'm, uh, I'm much more, I'm steady, if you like. I, I tend to do as much research as possible before I go on the route, on the walk. I only do walks I want to do. 
Uh, I don't do them because I think they might be popular. So I, I, I spend some time either walking a route or exploring the area or taking a recommendation before I decide that this is going to work. Um, so I mean, there's walks I could, the guides I could have written, but I decided they were just not exciting enough, and 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 turned and turned them down. So I tend the sort of steps I go through once I've uh, agreed with Cicerone that this is a walk I want to do, and they're willing to write a uh, publish a guide for. I would um, I try and get the route defined uh, digitally, so it's on a map, on a digital map. So I know where it's going to go. And it's not, that's not always straightforward. So some routes are better defined than others. Some routes have already got uh, a, GP, a, a GPX file. And some routes you, you, you just have to produce that for yourself from the original maps. But um, I, I try and get that done first. Um, I sort of then use that to produce a sort of a, a data set of all the things I need to do, um, the pictures I need to take, the bits of interest along the way. Um, so I've, so when I actually go and walk it, I'm really uh, confirming in a way what, what some of the stuff I'd already researched. I'm filling the bits in, taking the pictures, uh, recording times, finding obstacles, finding the bits which aren't really very nice and I'm going to sort of recommend a, a detour around. Um, so it's, it, 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 it's... It's a different thing walking it to researching it, and um, and there's st still an, usually an awful lot of pleasure in actually walking it as well as uh, as, as doing the research. Um, and then you get home, and uh, you have to write it. Um, a lot more research, obviously. Um, you you write the first draft. My wife then goes through it and uh, fills in all the grammar I've missed out and corrects my English, and then I submit it to. Uh, uh, Cicerone, they, they assign an editor. The editors are brilliant and they, uh, they put it into a format uh, for their publishing system. And um, six to nine months later, out pops a book. A book. So it's, um, yeah, it's a process. I mean, they, 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 they produce lots of books every year. So they've got a very well-oiled uh, machine for doing that. Let's talk a little bit about the Via de la Plata. What drew you to that route? The, the, the route of Via de la Plata is, uh, is actually, it's a Roman road. So, I mean, when you talked about it being a Camino, it's, uh, it actually predates uh, the, the Camino. So it's, it was already there as a route. The, the reason I decided to do it was I, I, I was actually on a, a longer route, a longer trip, the uh, Eurovelo 1, which is this network of uh, European cycling routes. And um, I cycled down the Portuguese coast beautiful cycle ride, then cycled across to Seville um, uh, on the Eurovelo one. And then that, then you join at Seville, you join the uh, Ruta Vila de la Plaza. So I then worked, cycled, that, uh, cycled that route. And I just thought it was such a brilliant route. It's an amazing route. And so I, I blogged about it. And, and as a consequence of blogging about it, the, there's, there's an association in Spain uh, the Ruta Vila de la Plata Association, which is, um, consists of all of the councils along the route who have come together to promote the route. They got in touch with me and they said they like my blog and uh, would I uh, be interested in, in, uh, in, in helping them promote the route? And I then 
thought that's it's a good opportunity uh, to do a guide. I sort of then approached uh, Cicerone with with the idea of a guide. Cicerone had already done uh, a walking guide to the Camino, but it's very old, out of date, and it was the Camino. Uh, the Ruta Vila de Plata Association really is 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 not about the Camino. It's about the original Roman route, which goes from uh, Merida which is just north of uh, Seville, all the way to the north coast. But Cicerone, understandably, uh, wanted me to write about it from the perspective of pilgrims, as well as the, uh, um, the uh, um, Roman road. So my, my guide has, uh, has, has actually got uh, two routes, one which goes um, to, to Santiago, and one which goes to Gijon on the north coast. It's the same route for two-thirds of the way, um, but um, if you want to be a pilgrim and, and be part of this huge network of pilgrim routes which exist in Spain, you can, you can, you can follow my route all the way to Santiago, uh, cycle my, my route to Santiago del Compostela. But if you want to do the original Roman route, you follow it to Gijon on the north coast. I did not realize that the Via de la Plata was a Roman route. I have always just associated with it with the Camino. Uh, the Cicerone folks know what they're doing because uh, that's what drew me, you know, what, probably 20 years ago to picking up guidebooks on on this route. It just seems so spectacular. Well, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, the word Camino, as um, hikers associate Camino with uh, pilgrimages to Santiago del Compostela, but Camino just means... Uh, track or path or, or road in Spanish, but it's been sort of captured uh, by the by uh, the industry of, of of pilgrimages to Santiago, and um, it's it's an interesting thing. And uh, the the Ruta Vila del Plata, of course, existed. Um, it was originally a Roman road. Um, it was then. Um, used by uh, the Muslims after, or the Visigoths first after the Romans left and then used by the Muslims and then used by the Spaniards again after the after, after, after reconquest. And it's a slightly controversial thing whether pla what Plata means. So some people say it means silver. And so, uh, but most people think it means pavement. And it's the Arabic word, Plata being the Arabic word for paved road. So, of course, a lot of this time, it was under Arabic control. I mean, the, the original Camino, uh, it's called the French route, goes across northern Spain. And that was the part of Spain which wasn't controlled by the Arabs. Most of Spain below the Cantabria Mountains was controlled by the Arabs until the 13th century. And so the Camino, uh, the Ruta Vida de la Plata, from... Um, was, was couldn't be used by pilgrims because uh, it was part of the, uh, the the Muslim part of Spain. So it's a uh, it, it's it it became adopted by pilgrims as a way of getting to Santiago. It was already there before the pilgrims started to use it. I love we're getting the history information, John. This is so much fun just learning uh, and hearing about uh, European history. Uh, let's dig into a little bit about this route. And so for people that are going to ride it, can you give kind of an overview of, of length and services and kind of all the things people might be wondering 
uh, to see if they could actually do this, do this route. It's a very good guide, the guide I produce. It's, it's a very clever <laughs> guide, I think. I'm, very, I'm really quite proud of it because what I've tried to do with a guide is produce a route which um, makes it makes the journey accessible for as many different sorts of cyclists as possible. Because there's an enormous range of cyclists, uh, you can be a road a road cyclist on um, on, a, on a, a carbon bike, or you can be a mountain biker on on a suspended bike, and um, or or you can be a host of people in between touring cyclists. And what I've tried to do with the guide is is make it is make the trip useful for for, for all types of cyclists. So you can actually cycle all the way to either Gijon or um, or, or Santiago on a metal surface. Typically, pilgrims go on um, on an off-road surface. Uh, there's some road surfaces even for pilgrims. But typically, a pilgrim goes on a on an off-road surface. But some of the off-road stretches are not as interesting as other parts of it. So what I've tried to do is produce uh, a guide which um, gives you the best of both worlds. So for, for touring cyclists like me, I tend to be, I consider myself a touring cyclist. I, I, I've, I've devised a route which follows the original route, but um, doesn't take you on the really dull bits. So if you pick up the guide, you can pick and choose between, um, depending on what sort of cyclist you are, um, and, and, and define your own uh, route um, from, for each day. It's, if you go to Santiago, it's just over a, a thousand kilometers. And you can do that in, I've divided that into 15 days. If you go to Gijon on the north coast, it's uh, just under a thousand kilometers and, uh, and 14 days. Um, and at the end of each day, you, you arrive at um, a town, uh, mostly a historic town, particularly on the Gijon route. You arrive, you're arriving at significant uh, historic towns. There's, there's nine UNESCO World Heritage Sites along the route. Oh, wow. So you're, you're arriving at towns which are famous for, uh, for the uh, uh, Roman heritage, towns which are famous for Muslim heritage. Every, every, sort, of, every sort of historic center is available on the route. And you can, as I said, you can cycle it um, off-road, a mix of off-road and on-road, or entirely uh, on-road. Hey everyone, this is Richard and I just want to take 30 seconds to let you know that if you are enjoying these stories and are interested in embarking on your own adventure, then head over to 10adventures.com. At 10 Adventures, our specialty is booking private and custom active holidays. Jump straight from dreaming to doing without any of the hassle of travel planning in between. Join thousands of other travelers who have already booked with 10 Adventures to destinations in over 85 countries and experience more of what our planet has to offer while making memories that'll last a lifetime. Now back to the podcast. Now, uh, you mentioned at the very start a metaled surface, and I remember when I first lived in the UK, it blew me away, you know, coming from Canada, I didn't realize that metaled didn't mean actual metal roads. Can, you know, for all the North Americans, can you explain <laughs> yes. a, metaled, a metaled road? <laughs> um, I, think, I think the term metal means it's been finished with a, with a, a, a roller. What would have, uh, so it's, uh, that's where the term metaled comes from. It means... Uh, let me think, a tarmac road, a hard surface, a standard road 
um, which has had a some metal rolling on it to produce uh, to produce uh, yeah so to produce that sort of metal finish. And obviously, if you're on a road bike, you want a metal road. Uh, but if you're on a if you're not on a road bike, you've, you're a bit more flexible. Um, yeah, that's so. That's the interesting thing about Spain um, is in the last twenty years they've had the most incredible uh, upgrade to their infrastructure. So um, the, the, the route of Villa de Plata is basically follows a, a very significant transport uh, corridor, particularly as it goes west. So along that transport corridor, you'll be following within the sort of, within the corridor, there's, there's brand new motorways and brand new railway lines. They've got the whole new railway network in Spain at the moment. And as a consequence, um, the old road network, which was beautifully graded from, you know, was designed to take lorries over mountains, well, trucks, I think you say in America, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, big vehicles over mountains. Um, it's, it's th this, this original infrastructure still exists, but it's not used by anybody. So you have... Uh, um, roads which we would con in the UK would be full of traffic in Spain are just empty so there is the option to cycle along these beautiful empty roads um, you know you can look down these things I guess you're used to it in, 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 in Canada you know seeing an empty road is such a novelty for us in the UK <laughs> but they exist in Spain and they're there to cycle along so you can cycle along these very quiet very safe but quite substantial Roads, or you can you can cycle on the um, on the on on the tradition on the um, on on the off road tracks. There's a long a long explanation of metals. <laughs> Actually, you answered one of my questions, which was uh, the question people always ask is how much traffic is there? And it sounds like you know Spain is fantastic because you have this road network that you aren't dealing with big trucks or cars constantly going by, and it makes it a really nice no, bike tour. I, I mean, I. I, I there's, there's a bit of traffic when you leave Seville, and there's a bit of traffic when you on a, a, a slightly um, ugly tr bit of traffic on the way into Lyon or Leon. Uh, but um, it, there's not very much. I mean, there's large stretches. I've got some wonderful photographs of when when I first cycled it. I cycled it with my wife, just staring down this empty road in the sun. It's just amazing. With you know, it is. It's very very quiet. Very quiet. You talked a bit about the off-road, and I'm really interested. You know, off-road has such a wide meaning from, you know, kind of a gravel road you can go on to single track that's quite technical. What does off-road on this route mean? I would say um, there's, there's, there's nothing really technical. Because, um, I mean, technical tends to be associated with... with, with uh, hills going down a hill or up a hill um so what you've got on the uh, you climb about 500 meters on your on your first day but a very gradual climb then after that you're you're on what it, what's called the meseta in spain um and so it's just gentle ups and downs it's there's so it's, it's not it's not steep um and so it's there's just one or two bits which um, are uncomfortable and, un un and are technical. And I, I simply say, well, don't go on them. 
uh, unless you really want, unless you unless you're obsessed by the need to follow the uh, the pilgrim route all the way. Which some people want to because they want to be uh, a, a fully fledged pilgrim. But unless you you really really want to do that, uh, all of the uh, technical bits and I think probably three or four percent of a whole journey you could call technical um, are easily avoided. And I recommend that you do avoid them when when I think they're they're, they're seriously uncomfortable. So what I, I say, what I've designed the guide for is to enable people to um, take, make their own, design their own route. I mean, in the worst comes to the worst, you can find a very comfortable road route as an alternative. So if you if you if you find the off road a bit uncomfortable, then just join the road. But it's not uncomfortable. It's typically it's um, a, a sandy uh Trap, what we'd call an agricultural route in the UK, you know, something which would be used by vehicles or, or shepherds, that sort of thing. Um, and some of it is 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 absolutely absolutely spectacular in terms of the scenery and landscape. I'm going to talk about that later on, perhaps. Um, and and one other question about the off-road portion: Are you sharing that with walkers? Is it something where you have to be aware there could be individuals walking it, and it's you know can be congested, or is it still? You know, there's so few people that you don't have to worry about, oh, turning a corner and running into a, a group of pilgrims. It's it's the latter. It's the latter. It's as um it's it's the I think it's the third most popular uh pilgrim route. So you've got the, the main route, the uh, Camino Francis, which runs um from uh from west to east, and then you've got the Camino Portuguese. They are much more um uh, much much busier, and when you get near Santiago, it is a bit of an issue um, uh, if you're a cyclist. I mean, but on on the route of Vila Plaza, it's never an issue. Um, it's um, you can see that you can see the, the pilgrims a long way out, and they can see you a long way out. And um, you know, you see quite a few, but it's not it's not crowded in the same way as those other two routes are. Now we've talked a lot about kind of the, the logistics and the you know the the type of services uh, to ride on, but for people who are just thinking, you know, what am I going to see on this route? What makes this such a special route, in your opinion? The thing I think is the, the, the thing which is totally special about the route and, and compares. I don't think there's another route, unless it's been particularly sort of constructed to take you all over the place to find special places there's not an, another route which is so direct going from a to b which visits such fantastic places um so from a, a visiting perspective go uh, places where you um see historic sites uh, it's just amazing because you start in uh, in seville which is um i mean it's just an incredible place with with uh, with its uh, Roman, um, uh, Muslim, and, and Spanish heritage. Then you go to Zafra, then Merida. Merida is the best place in Spain for Roman remains. as a huge aqueduct uh, uh, and and a coliseum and and, and theatre and all the rest of it. And it just carries on. Every single place you go to is special. Uh, Caceres is where they film most of a Game of Thrones. Leon has the best uh, stained glass of any. Um, of, of any city in, in Spain and you know, the cathedral is just incredible so it's just this concentration of Spanish history and Spanish history is very interesting because of its, uh, its, its, its Muslim heritage as well as its, uh, its, uh, its uh, 
uh, Roman and Christian heritage. It's very interesting. But then in terms of the cycling itself, it's also very interesting. Um, you've got this, um, you've got the whole series of different landscapes and the landscapes interestingly reflect the history of, of, of the, of the reconquest. So in the North it's, um, when the route, where the reconquest was much slower, the farms are smaller, but in the South, it's, it was more, it, the farms were massive, these huge, uh, agricultural, um, uh, estates, which were, which were, were there for cattle and pigs, which don't have many people on, but what they did, they planted evergreen oak trees, um, which are scattered about every, there's a tree every 30 meters or so. And in between the trees is just, in the spring, it's just a, a, a sea of flowers. And in the autumn, they all get, all the, all the grazing gets burnt off and you have this sort of okra-looking landscape with these dark trees on. So it's a, it's a very unique landscape in the south. It's called the Dehesa. And cycling through that is just, it's just very, very special. We feel very privileged. It's actually, I think it's better to cycle through it than to walk through it, to be honest, because you're going at this sort of nice pace it's like this film set coming past you as you go along um so the cycling is 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 great it's very interesting but at the end of each day you arrive at this special town city where you can uh, absorb the sort of spanish life and um, have a great meal uh get cleaned up and uh, and then do the uh, people watching do the sightseeing and the people watching in the plaza mayor where everyone's eating tapas it's a very special lifestyle. We actually we actually developed uh, a sort of Spanish day uh, for our cycling. We, you know, you leave at about nine o'clock. Two coffees in the, two coffee stops in the morning. Every small village has a has a has a place to stop for coffee. Um, I'm a vegetarian now, but at the time I was eating uh, Spanish ham, and every place has a. Every place claims to be the place where Spanish ham was invented. You know, you, there's even a place where you go to the Spanish ham museum on the way. And um, so they all make a speciality of uh, toast and ham in the morning and, and coffee. And then you'd get, but you'd get to your destination in time for lunch. Because, of course, the uh, Spanish eat lunch very late. So you can get to, uh, you have your lunch be, be, as late as three o'clock if, you, if, if you, they're still serving lunch. So you can then get there, relax over a long Spanish lunch, get cleaned up in your hotel or wherever it is you're staying, do some sightseeing, uh, find everywhere has a Plaza Mayor, the town square, which is where everybody gathers in the evening, and uh, you sit there with a couple of beers and, and tapas. And that's that's your day, really. You don't need to have another Spanish meal after all that, and then go round again next day onto another beautiful place. This sounds incredible, John. This is this is why cycling in Europe is just so much fun. Um, <clears throat> but the late out, the late lunch, really kind of is a game changer. I hadn't thought of this before, but being able to kind of do, you know, do a couple coffee stops, pick up a pastry, and then finish your day at you know two o'clock, and then kind of just be able to chill out. That's so nice. You have your lunch, explore the town. Uh, I've never ridden in Spain, but you're really painting an attractive picture. Yes, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, we, I cycled in Portugal this year, and I was really disappointed. The Portuguese time isn't the same as Spanish time. They um, they have the same time as we, as we do in the UK, and so you have to get there for for, for one o'clock, which is you know it's a, a bit of a rush in the morning. But uh, 
Um, no, it's, uh, Spanish is, and, and, and the, because the cycling is not too difficult, it really isn't. Um, it's, uh, it's the occasional hill you have to climb, but there's nothing savage. Um, it's not like cycling. I mean, from a, from a, a, for a road cyclist, um, it might be a bit tame, to be honest. A lot of road cyclists like to have challenging hills to go up. Uh, there's nothing like that on this route. Um, uh, so it's, it's, it's a very relaxing, easy journey. Um, and as, as I said earlier, there's always choices if you, uh, if you don't, if you want to shorten the day, um, you can do, you know, it's not a problem. Now, in terms of accommodations, does this route have all the ranges from, you know, campgrounds to, you know, nice hotels, uh, or are there some things you, you can't do on this route? Because it's the Camino, you have all of the accommodation options associated with the Camino. So um, if, you're, if you're a walking pilgrim, um, you typically stay in, um, in an, a, 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 an auberge, which is like a hostel, really. His, historically, these places were free, but they're no longer free. But um, I, I guess the nearest thing you would compare them to would be some sort of youth hostel. They're, they're, they're all... Often they have communal accommodation. They always have uh, uh, washing machines and all that sort of stuff. And all the towns have have the equivalent as well. Um, because you're cycling, uh, the the amount of accommodation you need isn't nearly as great as if you're walking, because you're you're typically doing three days walking in one on in one day cycling, and you're typically staying in towns. So uh, you can in the towns you can stay in the in the pilgrim accommodation or you can stay in in Spanish accommodation you know medium range hotels or uh, or the the very best hotels there are I mean typically there's a big tradition in in Spain of con- converting historic buildings into hotels they're called paradors and the route has um, there's an argument about whether the Parador in Lyon is the best Parador in Spain or whether the Parador in Palencia is the best Parador in Spain. Um, but both of them are on the route of Via de la Plata. And, um, and, and they're amazing places. They're a little bit old-fashioned in terms of their food, but the, but the buildings are beautiful and converted palaces, converted monasteries, converted castles, all that sort of thing. Um, so you have a, you have a choice of of top-end accommodation, but when you say top-end accommodation, we're talking um, probably 120 euros a night uh, for two, uh, you know, a double room. So it's not, certainly not compared to the UK, even at the top end, it's not expensive. Um, and then at the at the, uh, at the uh, auberge end, you're probably talking 15, 20 euros a night. But accommodation in Spain is all good, always good value, and you've got a huge range of, of, of of accommodation in between and plenty of it there's not a problem ever in terms of finding accommodation you know there's nothing better than partway through a big trip just getting a, a nice hotel and you know having the nice smelling shampoo and just getting the grubbiness off off of, off of the body uh, and those pair doors sound incredible you know they're all spaced perfectly to uh you know just enjoy a day of luxury maybe a rest day and just pamper yourself it is it's um Really, um, we, we tend to try and stay in nice places. To be honest, it's a you know, uh, depending on whether I'm on my own or on, uh, whether I'm with my wife. My wife, she 
she likes to stay in nice places. So because <laughs> you you know you're staying in all sorts of places normally, but um, uh, so we like to stay in the Parados or or the other uh, historic building, co- historic converted buildings, and it's such a good choice there. Uh, we haven't talked about the best time of the year to do this. Are there months where it's you know too hot or too cold? Um, personally, I would avoid going off road in the winter. I mean, the seasons change every year at the moment. Um, but if it's wet, um, there's this there's this weird mud in in parts of Spain, uh, which is so sticky. I, I noticed when I was walking. Um, but if you get the mud on your bike, it, it's, it's bad. So you, you really want to avoid avoid the winter if you're going off road. Um, so I would say the best months are um, late April, May, and June when you get the, you've got a very short, sharp spring in Spain, but ex- really, really spectacular. Um, uh, July and August tend to get hot. It then gets really nice again in um, in September and October, when you know you've got this uh, autumn burnt look to the landscape, which I like. Um, in the in, and then of course the, the rains can come in in November, and that's when the, the the wettest month is is supposed to be November. If you're going on the road, it, it's not such an issue. You can go obviously you can go anytime, but um, Spain is um, can be quite cold. Uh, it's, you know, once you get a, a, a off the coastal plain, you're t- typically six, six between six at hundred and a, a thousand meters. Um, it can be very, it can be very nice, very dry and, uh, and 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 clear. But it can be you can you can get caught out by the cold in the winter. So you just something to be aware of. But the best months, um, I think, are May, June, and uh, uh, September, October. John, you you've you know, obviously explored this area extensively. What's your favorite memory of, you know, doing the rides to, you know, write the guidebook and doing the research? Is there something that's just seared in your mind when you think about about this route? I've already talked about um, cycling across the Dehesa and, and there's, there's a particular place um, about four days into, into the route where you, you cycle 30, 30 kilometers um, um, and it's off-road all the time. It's flat, and you've got this beautiful landscape of tr- of these uh, evergreen oak trees, these flowers, and and you're just and it's easy cycling, and you're blasting along, and you just have this big grin on your face, and then you emerge at the end of that into the uh, a ro- a abandoned Roman town of uh, Capara. It's just a huge archaeological site with a, a big Roman arch. But um, and you can you after 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 having that beautiful ride, you put your bike up against that Roman arch, and you take a picture, and it's just it's just fantastic. There's another bit though, uh, if I can have two special bits, um, <laughs> definitely. Which I, was, I was very nervous about, so I couldn't quite figure out whether it was going to be too tough or or not. And it's it's where you cross the Cantabrian Mountains. You cross, it's quite easy to cross, cross the Cantabrian Mountains because you're going from south to north and you're, you're already at about 600, 700 metres and then you have to climb to about 1,200 metres and then you descend almost to sea level on the other side. Um, and I've done, we, we've done the road bit on our first trip and I wanted to do the off-road bit but I was just a bit nervous because, you know, it looked tough. 
Uh, and it's, I got up there and it was this fantastic Roman road which went right across the top of the uh, you know, Cantabrian mountains. It was absolutely amazing. Um, and because I was nervous about how tough it was, um, uh, you know, I wasn't sure what I was quite letting myself in for. Uh, I suppose the, it was a combination of relief that it was more than durable and the sort of stunning beauty of, of, of the trip. Uh, I had to then come down, of course, so you were 1,200 metres and you had to come down this very bumpy con- concrete road to get down to, uh, to, uh, into the coastal plain. But that was a special day as well. Really, really nice. Um, and that was, and that, that was, that bit is just out of Leon, uh, which is on the southern side of the Cantabrian Mountains. And, and Leon is my favourite city as well. So it's an absolutely beautiful city. Um, my favourite city in all of Spain. But, um, so yes, special day. That was a special day. You know, you, you've painted such an incredible. Uh, almost a postcard of this incredible route that goes through these wonderful towns and you have great food and accommodation. Uh, I know just listening to you, this route, which has been on my bucket list for 20 years, has gone really, really a lot higher. And I'm thinking, how can we do this with our kids and our wife in the next couple of years? Because it sounds just like an ideal route. So uh, I want to say thanks for coming on the show today, John, and sharing all this incredible information. Pleasure. If you want more inspiration, I'm going to put links to John's guidebook, Uh, You can buy it directly from Cicerone, which uh, will save you a bit of money, or you can buy it on Amazon if you're just looking for uh, a quick purchase. I'll also put a link to his website as well, where there's lots of great uh, blog posts on there. And with that, thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures. Start planning your own adventure by visiting us at 10adventures.com and listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you find your podcasts.